You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live at bit.ly forward slash ARI webinars. Should You Judge Other People? by Alain Journal. Welcome to Philosophy for Living on Earth, coming to you live from the Ayn Rand Institute. This is a weekly webinar series exploring life's big questions and the answers to those questions coming from the ideas of Ayn Rand. I'm Ilan Jurno and I'm your host this week. Our big question for today is, should you judge other people? The format for these sessions is that I'll be presenting for about 15 to 20 minutes and then we'll open up for Q&A and discussion. And, I'm, and for that portion, I'm joined today by my colleague, Aaron Smith, who will be moderating the Q&A and joining in. So let's dive in. Should you judge other people? Now, the idea of judging people today has a bad name. Moral judgment in general has a bad name. And notice, for example, how often people use the expression, don't judge me in conversation. And when they say that, don't judge me, they usually mean, don't judge me harshly. They mean, they expect you to be saying something really bad about them and they don't want to hear it. And the word judge itself has come to mean primarily a negative judgment about somebody. So don't be judgy. Don't judge me. Uh, you know, if we're a good, caring person or a good friend, you're expected to be uh, considerate. And that means offering a, quote, no judgment zone to your friends. And of course, it's an insult to call someone judgmental. I'm sure you've heard that or maybe even used it against someone you know. And given all of this, some people take the advice of trying to live by the biblical motto, judge not that ye be not judged. Don't judge other people if you don't want to be judged. So there's an incentive for you not to do it. And the upshot of this advice and this whole cultural atmosphere is that we're pushed to avoid moral judgment and be endlessly understanding and tolerant and accepting. So the, the one very common answer people give to the question, should you judge other people is, no, you shouldn't judge other people. Now, when you translate this into, a, if you turn this into a principle to guide your action, it would mean a policy in effect, in a policy of moral neutrality or agnosticism. You're not gonna draw any conclusions about people. You're just gonna leave it uh, out there for people to live in that live. Now, I put it that way because I think it's important when you hear something like this to ask yourself, what would it look like to take this advice and try to live by it as a principle, as a consistent way of living? So let's try that out. What would it really look like um, to go by this no judgment policy? Can this approach really uh, guide your thinking and help you navigate relationships with people in your personal life, in, your, in, in the workplace? Um, can, can it really help you make sense of the world and, and sort of find your way through it? So let's take a couple of examples and see what it looks like. All right, so here's a situation. You work for a medium-sized company and you come to work one Monday and you find the, uh, the accountant is sitting in the front. He's got handcuffs, there are FBI people, there are police. And you discover that he has been embezzling large amounts of money from the company. And the result is, you know, you discover over the course of the next few hours, the company can't pay its debts. 
there certainly will be making payroll. Within a week or so, you find out, okay, the company's heading towards bankruptcy, and a week later, you're laid off. Now, what are we to make of the accountant who set this whole uh, disastrous chain of events in, in progress? Should you offer this person a no judgment zone? Considering what happened to you, is that, does that make sense? Is that the right kind of approach to life? Is that gonna uh, sort of lead you toward a better path? Okay, let's try a different example. What would it look like to apply this sort of in sort of a, a family situation? Now, you have, a, let's suppose you have a brother who's 20 years old and he comes over to your apartment and he has changed radically from the last time you saw him. His head is clean shaven. There's a large Nazi swastika tattooed on his forearm. And over dinner, he's just lecturing you left and right about how the Jews control Wall Street, how Blacks and Asians and Hispanics and all sorts of other people are a threat to the white race. And they have to be, you know, something has to be done about it. And throughout this whole period, he invites you and he keeps pushing you to come, you know, come with me when my friends were having a rally this weekend at City Hall. Now, okay, so this is your brother. What are you going to make of this? Should you sort of back off and say, oh, I'm not going to judge what he's saying and what he's promising to do should you be uh, uh, should you you know follow the biblical advice judge not that ye be not judged does that make sense in this context does that really help you navigate this relationship and what, what do you make of this person who is your brother and the way they're now behaving so the, the point i want to draw out here is that if you try to live by a, a consistent policy of don't judge uh, what you're saying is in effect the people around you that you're interacting with, if they lie or cheat or steal or, or do something even worse than that, they can expect no condemnation from you. You're not going to pass judgment on them. You're not going to say what you, you know, you're not going to reach any conclusion about them. You'll tolerate them. And that means people like the, the embezzling accountant that I mentioned, one example, or, or your brother who becomes a skinhead, racist uh, 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 person. And then there's a whole range of other kinds of people uh, who, that you would be accepting and just you know, standing back and not drawing any conclusions about them. And on the flip side, if you take this policy seriously, on the flip side, it also means that there are people who are honest and thoughtful and productive and truly heroic, uh, that either in your life or that you know about. And what you're saying in effect is they can expect nothing from you either, because if you're operating a no judgment zone, it has to encompass everybody people who do bad things and the people who do good things and you're not going to sort them out that's basically what this policy is is telling you and it's really important to think about the implications of this what kind of people are you going to be drawing into your life and what kind of people would you be repelling if this is how you're approaching things you're not going to draw any kind of moral conclusions about their behavior or that or their views so let's go back to the question should you judge other people as I've said, the common answer, or one common answer you get is no, and you know, we're going to be non-judgmental. What I want to present next is to tell you about Ayn Rand's answer to this question. And her answer is, is quite different from what I've been describing. Her view is that yes, you should judge other people. Definitely you should judge other people. It's a necessary, it's indispensable to living a good life that you do so. Why? So in, in Rand's view, moral judgment is crucial in life. 
And the, the basic reason I'll just indicate is that if you look at the way we go about our lives there, we're faced with alternatives all over the place. And we have to make choices about how, what, what kind of things we're gonna pursue, what kind of things we're gonna avoid, what kind of goals we have, what kind of people we wanna be around. And in order to navigate these endless alternatives that we face day to day, whether they're mundane or, or, or truly profound, we need to figure out what we're dealing with. And that's true whether, you know, what are you gonna to wear today? Uh, what are you going to have for lunch? What kind of food are you going to eat? What kind of diet are you going to have? What kind of phone are you going to buy? Uh, where you want to live? What kind of job you want to have? And, and especially throughout all of these kinds of decisions, what kind of people you want in your life? And it's especially important with the people that you're dealing with because just as with all, all these other more mundane kind of choices about what, what you eat or what you, where you want to, I mean, the job is not mundane, it's a significant decision, but what kind of job you want to do, people can be enormously valuable to us. It can be friends, it can be romantic partners, but it, obviously there's, there's a potential for things to go very badly wrong or to, to cause uh, harm to you and to, for you to lose the values that you're trying to pursue in life. So just to give a couple of examples of what I'm referring to. So, I don't think I need to convince you that if you find a romantic partner that's a good match for you, that you know that's going to enrich your life. That's a good thing. It's something to pursue and to try to find. Now, but if you've been out on a date and within a few minutes you know the person in front of you is not a good fit for you in whatever way, either they're strange or they're off-putting or there's something about them. There's some vibe and you're getting you're not compatible. Well, just imagine if you end up with that kind of person, the person who's not a good fit for you. I mean, the wrong kind of romantic partner can make your life miserable. And I'm sure you've experienced, you know, people or, or being connected to situations where that's obvious. And I think this is one of those cases where it's really important to use your best judgment or, or think about you want to start a business. Clearly, there's a lot of upside if you find people that you can work with and they're committed and they're going to do their part and you join in, the, you start a company, for example. Now, but what happens if you, the people you pick aren't trustworthy or they're not going to do their fair share or, um, you know, they're, they're not reliable. You can't depend on them to do uh, the work that you guys agreed to. Well, they can go very badly wrong. They can exploit you. They can, they can leave you penniless or, or even worse things can happen. So I've tried to indicate a couple of examples here to, to get across this idea that it's really crucial that we judge the people that we're dealing with in life, whether whatever kind of relationship we're getting into, whether it's a romantic, whether it's a friend, whether we're doing something in business. And then there's sort of broaden this even more to every kind of relationship you have with people. So the, the first key point is it's really crucial to judge people because if you're trying to gain values in life, whether it's a friendship or a business venture you're trying to launch or just your career, um, it's really important to navigate those relationships and, and, and how you interact with people so you gain the kind of goals you're after. Now, Ayn Rand's view is that moral judgment is necessary, but the other element here that's really key, I wanna, I wanna stress this, is her view is that moral judgment needs to be objective, not emotion-driven, not arbitrary, not driven by sort of your moods or your prejudices. And this is really key. There's, there's a lot to say about Ayn Rand's view of objectivity. It's central to her whole philosophy. I'm not going to get into too much on that. I'm going to cover a couple of points. 
but just you can ask about it uh, more in the question period. But the key I want to address uh, stress here is when she's talking about being objective in your judgment, it means gathering the facts and, a, and, a, you, and really understanding what's going on in a given person, what you need to know about them to form a view, and then using a rational standard. And this is in contrast to what I think actually is what many people do when they think they're doing moral judgment, which is they let their emotions or their, their, their um, prejudices kind of um, seep in and override their, their understanding of the facts or, or for good or bad. So it could be, well, um, they have a soft spot for this kind of person. So they're gonna overlook certain things that they shouldn't be overlooking, or they just, they just don't like this person for some uh, sort of concrete irrelevant reason. And they're gonna overlook the good things that that person is doing. So there's lots of ways people can go wrong when they're reaching moral judgment. And the, and the key point of advice here from Ayn Rand is, you need to be objective. You have to take this really seriously. And I want to underline that and, and just share with you a passage from Rand um, just to convey how she thinks of this. She thinks there's an enormous responsibility to pass moral judgment. And uh, the way she puts it is it's the task requires the most precise, the most exacting, the most ruthlessly objective and rational process of thought. So that's a quote from her, uh, her writings on this topic. And she's written quite a bit about this, but and the key is to get the difference between, so think of it, I mean, the, the analogy or metaphor here could be, uh, and I think this is how she puts it in, in one of her essays, you're a judge and you have to be unimpeachable. So you have to really just go, imagine that you are a judge in a courtroom, you're a judge in your own mind and your own relationships with people around you you have to be really ruthless about going just by the facts and using a, a rational standard to evaluate people, not letting in any kind of um, uh, irrelevant considerations or um, arbitrary concerns or, or just sort of feelings that don't have any bearing on, on the issue. And the, the one thing to, that's helpful, um, it's just think about if you've ever seen the statue of uh, justice, sort of symbolizing justice, uh, there's a, a, a blindfold around the justice. And what that means is not blind to facts. It means blind to emotion or irrelevant considerations. And it's going just by the fact. And the scales, another way to think of them is um, you're evaluating the person and what they, what they do is in one side of the scale and what you do in response is the other side. And you balance it out. So if it's a good person, you, you sort of draw them into your life. If it's a bad person, you push them away and you kind of avoid that. So you, the key point about um, judgment is once you've formed a rational judgment, and again, there's a lot to say about the how-to element of that, which you can ask more about in the Q&A. But once you've formed a rational judgment by going through the facts and sorting them out ruthlessly, objectively, then you need to act and kind of um, match the person's character and figure out what kind of relationship you can have. So if it's a good person, you want to draw them in, find a way to, to uh, cultivate that relationship, given the context that you want to have with them. So the key point here is you need to be objective about your moral judgments. And again, that's a big topic. I'm just giving you an indication. Let me say one other thing about objectivity here that I think is worth drawing out from a big topic again. And that is that in Ayn Rand's view, objectivity in, entails holding the context. And the context means 
all the facts and considerations that surround a given issue and that that you're um, have to bring to bear on this. So, for example, in this context, what, we're, what this means is to be objective in judging someone, a relevant part of what has to come in is what kind of relationship or interaction are you having with this person? What, what, do you, what is your purpose here in understanding and, and forming a view of them? So it, one way to put this is the more significant the relationship or interaction, the more you'd be wise to investigate and, for, and kind of reach a considered judgment of them. The less significant, the less you need to know in order to have that kind of relationship. So, um, so, so you know, I gave the example of a romantic partnership earlier. So suppose you're going to get married to somebody. The kind of questions and, and, and assessment you need to reach to decide whether this is the person you want to share your life with is a lot more significant. Is it takes a lot more work and thought and even more data and more and more thinking about this as compared with sort of the interaction you have with the guy who sells tacos down the street at the restaurant. So if you're going to go have lunch, what do you need to know about this uh, restaurant? Well, you need to know at least they're not going to, you know, the, the, the food there is untainted. They don't have a reputation for, um, you know, selling rotten food. The food's actually good. There's a positive there. It's hygienic. It's reputable. The guy's going to give you the correct change. He's not trying to um, cut corners in any way. And that's the extent of what you need to know if what you're doing is buying tacos for lunch versus finding someone to share your life with. And so the part of what I'm drawing out here with the issue of context is being objective means knowing what kind of assessment, what, what is the, uh, the scale of your interaction with this person, and then matching that with uh, what you're going to kind of conclude about them. And the, the, the wider point is there's no obligation in following this advice from Rand about reaching moral judgment that you go around and sort of uh, um, sort of become this zealous crusader and just throw out moral judgments at people left and right. Um, part of it is knowing the context. Why are you forming a view? Is it appropriate to express it in a given situation? And, and how much do you actually know so there's a lot to say about the importance of context as a part of being objective in reaching moral judgments, both in how to form them and how to express them and how to articulate them and when that, what are the factors that make that um, relevant. So I wanna uh, turn to a, a third and final point in, in drawing out some of Ayn Rand's view about the importance of justice in life. And this is, uh, I think a, a really distinctive point now, in some of the examples I've been giving, I've indicated or stressed a bit. So the way things can go wrong, if you find, you know, if you end up with a romantic partner that's not a good match for you or a partner in business who's going to, you know, fleece you or something or food that isn't going to be healthy or something like that. And there's a sense in which you can, people can end up thinking that moral judgment is about primarily pushing out the bad things and avoiding the bad things in life. And you know, culturally, when we think about moral judgment in general, it's it's in the context often in criminal justice and putting bad people in jail, and and, and that's right. I mean, that, that's an important part of what it means to reach uh, conclusions about people in the context of moral judgment. But that's not the whole of it, and it's certainly not, in Ayn Rand's view, the primary thing. On the contrary, in her view, um, moral judgment is primarily about finding good people, engaging with them, supporting them, 
and making them part of your life. And the, the key here is to get that, if you kind of step back and see how this fits into the wider picture of Ayn Rand's philosophy, it's that the philosophy is about finding the values in, in your life that are gonna make you happy, that are gonna enrich your life and give meaning to it. And the reason to, to follow the advice of uh, reaching objective moral judgments about people is so that you can find good people. You can find friends who are gonna bring value to your life, a romantic partner, or people in, in, that you hire into your business or that you join and start a company you're trying to uh, prospect for positive values that are going to make your life that much better. And um, reaching objective moral judgments is a key way of doing that. It's a means to that end. So it's crucial to get that uh, sort of from the wider perspective, moral judgment, objective moral judgment is a necessary step for reaching many of the values that are important in our lives. And sort of from another perspective, it's another way of thinking of this you need to reach rational judgments about people. That's another way of putting the point. And this is Rand's view that reason is a means to those values. So it's really critical and central to her view that you use your mind to find the values you need in life. And one of the major areas where that is relevant and where you need objective moral judgment is in your engagement with people uh, in particular. So let me wrap up here with just three takeaways that I've, I've hope you, you can uh, walk away with as a result of this discussion. And so in answer to the question, should you judge other people? Ayn Rand's answer is yes, it's crucial in life to form moral judgments of other people. The second one is moral judgments need to be objective, not emotion driven. And third, moral judgment is primarily about seeking out, nurturing, supporting the good people in your life whether that's people who are directly your friends and in your company, in your workplace, or just in it culturally even, the, the people that you admire and look up to, who inspire you, that you might never meet, but you admire their work, you admire their people in sports, writers or people in business, inventors, scientists, whoever they are, it's important to recognize their value and, and gain from it. So those are three takeaways from today's discussion on the importance of objective moral judgment. Um, I want to give you a couple of recommendations for things you might want to read. If you haven't yet read Ayn Rand's novels, I highly recommend them. There's a lot to gain about um, this particular issue of judgment and the understanding character and the role of morality in life. And then there's a few essays that you can find on the Ayn Rand Institute website that go directly to this issue that I've been discussing in today's webinar. So one of them is, how does one lead a rational life in an irrational society. Now, the, 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 the gist of this essay is about the importance of moral judgment in life, both as I've been stressing in the context of your relationships with people, but also more broadly in terms of just in how you understand the world and the events around you. So her view is broader than just, you need to judge other people. That's, that's central and important, but it's also understanding the events and, and situation and, and culture around you. So that's one I highly recommend. You can find that freely on our website. Another one is The Cult of Moral Grayness. And this is, um, uh, you can think of this as partly a response to uh, sort of this cultural phenomenon of 
you know, don't judge. Let's let's have a, a no judgment zone kind of mentality going back many years, of course, but this, I think it's the same kind of spirit and it's Ayn Rand's response to that. So uh, I think it's, it's well worth looking into. And then finally, and this is a, a more advanced resource, I think definitely read all the things I've mentioned before uh, as a preliminary to this, there's an excellent course that's available on the Ayn Rand Institute campus, also through the um, iPhone or Android app, the Ayn Rand University app. Uh, it's called Judging, Feeling and Not Being Moralistic. And this is by Leonard Peikoff, who was a longtime student of Ayn Rand and the foremost expert on her philosophy. It's a really interesting uh, way to think through some of the issues of what does it mean to, to engage in rational moral judgment? What does it mean to be objective in this area? Because as I said in the presentation, there's a lot to say about this. I'm just giving you an overview. Now, before we turn to Q&A, let me give you a couple of uh, um, um, updates. So next week, uh, Dr. Harry Binswanger will be here and he'll be presenting a webinar on this big question. Is artistic preference subjective? I'm going to look forward to that. I hope you'll join us uh, next week. And again, as we always recommend, we'd love to get your questions for other webinars. If you have one that you think would be a great topic, just email us, webinars at aynrand.org. And of course, we also read all the questions that you, you posed us, and some of them have given rise to webinars. So we, we love to get your feedback and your input. Now, a final request, um, we'd love to get you to answer this poll and I'm going to launch it right now. Let us know your level of uh, familiarity with Ayn Rand. This is really helpful to us in thinking about the kind of questions we ask in these webinars and the kind of um, audience we're able to reach and, and helps us kind of improve as we go along. So I'm gonna leave that poll up and uh, we're gonna turn to Q&A now and I'll be joined by my colleague Aaron Smith. Hey, Aaron, are you going to? Are you there? Uh, hey, Lon. Hey, Aaron. How are you? <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah. So let me let me start by just asking one of my own questions. Um, do you think there are understandable or even uh, legitimate reasons why uh, why people are reluctant to judge other people? Yes. Yeah, I definitely think so. Let me um, let me give a couple of thoughts on that because I think that's there are definitely good reasons for people to feel that way. Um, number one is, I think uh, what I described as what people think of as moral judgment, and that is, in effect, some facts, some prejudice, some sort of arbitrary feeling. And that's how they reach a view that gives legitimately gives moral judgment a bad name because that's not at all what you and that if you did that in a court of law that would be a travesty of judgment in the legal context and it it doesn't gain any respectability because it's outside of a law court of law so that's one kind of reason people just don't reach moral judgments objectively commonly but i think a, a deeper one a more philosophical influence in the culture is that the kinds of principles that people apply in morality make it so that moral judgment is a threat to both their character and their self-esteem. So a, a prevailing view is that morality is about serving other people. 
It's about selfless sacrifice and doing for the, for the common good, for the public interest, you know, something larger than yourself. There's various forms in which this arises. And it's not, a, this is something Ayn Rand criticized severely as a principle of morality. But one of the things that, one of the, one of the many destructive consequences of it is it's an, it's an in, impossible to practice principle. And so the more people think of that as, well, that's what it means to be good, the less they feel that they are good because they can't live up to it. And the more they feel that, well, if someone's going to talk about moral judgment, I don't, I don't want to be part of this because I know how that's going to go. And, and I think when you hear people say, don't judge me, I think a big part of what drives that is the feeling that I know in some sense, I'm not, I haven't been living up to this because who could? And I don't, I don't want to hear that because it, it's really debilitating. Uh, so that's, and I think that view, she, I mean, the, the broad term she uses that is the morality of self-sacrifice or altruism is the term she often uses for it. Um, and it, it, it's definitely one of the sources for it is religion. Uh, because you think, what is the moral ideal of Christianity? It's Jesus who died self-sacrificially on the cross for our sins. And who can live up to that? I mean, are you going to go build a cross and nail yourself to it tomorrow just to prove that you're good? I mean, it's, it's a very difficult ideal to live up to. And you can get the sense that it's unlivable. So I think there are legitimate, but they're legitimate in the sense that Understandable. Understandable, yeah. Not, not in the sense that I agree that this is a good view. And, and one important thing I'd add as a final thought to this is um, it, it's another sort of affirmation of a point Ayn Rand makes, which is the field of morality has for so long been monopolized in the literal sense. Like the, people just know one view in morality and they, and they equate morality with that view. And they, they don't have a sense that there are other perspectives. And, and I mean, there are many other theories in morality throughout the history of philosophy, but they're just not known. They don't have the same kind of standing culturally. And one of the things I, I'm, I like to tell people when, when this kind of issue comes up is Ayn Rand is offering another view of what morality is. And she's challenging you to rethink the concept of morality. And it's not, it, don't equate the concept of morality with what you've heard conventionally. There's, there's another view, there's another perspective. So yeah. did you want to add to this? Did you? Yeah, just one thing is I thought, so you mentioned the point about altruism and if you hold altruism as the moral ideal i don't want to if i start judging other people by that standard i have to judge myself by that standard and i don't want to be judged by that standard um i think another reason in as well is i think people are hesitant about um the standards by which they judge anyway so when you think about people being uh hesitant about judging other cultures or I mean or other individuals it's like well what standard am I using and and the real concern that the, maybe the, the standard they use is sort of arbitrary or not particularly objective and 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 wanting to kind of not make those kind of calls and, and be more tolerant as it's sometimes put um, but that often slides then into being a kind of a moral neutrality uh, or then you don't really know then you you don't even know what the standard you would use to evaluate anything. And that's a real problem. Yeah. I mean, one other thought is just to, <clears throat> that sparked this in my thinking, but we should get to some questions before we uh, go. But one, one for the thought is um, there are various ways in which moral judgment gets a bad name. I think one of them is there are all kinds of things going on in our culture today 
that people look at and think, well, if that that's what it means to be, you know, passing judgment on people, that doesn't make any sense. And that that's sort of disreputable. And one of the things you hear about it, I don't know if you spend a lot of time on Twitter or you follow these things, but there is a phenomenon now of, of people ganging up on other people on Twitter and trying to expose their immorality or their their slight their faults and and some of these things are right i mean some of these people are being exposed for having done actually bad things and they, they deserve everything they get but often or in some cases or in enough cases to make this a problem it's nothing like that so it, it's people having a double standard applied to them and there's enough of a mob to make this kind of stick and then it's well this is not fair this person is being railroaded so it's all kinds of um uh sort of negative uh, confirmation for why you wouldn't want to be involved in this kind of judgment. Yeah. And, and why you need to model a different kind of approach. So we've got a question um, here from uh, an anonymous attendee. Uh, the question is, <clears throat> should someone with bad ideas who never actually acts on them be judged as harshly as someone who does? Who, who has bad ideas and acts on them? Yeah, so someone has bad ideas but never actually acts on them versus someone who has them and does them. Yeah, I don't know that there's enough <clears throat> in the question to answer fully, but I, I guess I think if you have bad ideas and you act on them, then that means you're causing destructive effects in the world. I mean, there's no way around that. And that seems like it's worse to me than just being a hypocrite about your bad ideas and not acting on them and being inconsistent. Um, I'm not sure if I'm getting the sort of the thrust of the question, but um, one other angle on this is that I think it's important to think, to, 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 important to have the, the view that someone's ideas should be judged, that there is such a thing as evaluating people's ideas. It, it doesn't make sense to have, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's wrong and, and irrational to, to be agnostic about people's ideas. So I don't know if you have this experience, but I am distantly related to someone who is a communist um, or a really hardcore socialist or however they just, and I think of that as, yeah, you might do other good things in your life, but that's a significant problem for me. <laughs> At this point in history, it, it, it's very difficult to, and I know the person and what their reasons for holding this view, but to me, that's a very significant red flag at the minimum. Um, and obviously this person is more than just holding communist ideas. They, they think they should implement them and they would like to advance that. So I, I mean, I think those are some important considerations. And it depends what you mean bad. I mean, it's sort of, it's, if they hold some ideas that happen to be false, uh, they made some errors or mistakes. That's a different thing. I mean, uh, falsehoods aren't good, right? So it's a, but it depends whether you think it's an error or a mistake or whether you think that there's some real evasion and irrationalism going on, uh, motivating the person and generating these kinds of ideas because that keys you into something about the person. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, some kind of hardcore socialist, communist type. It's like, uh, what must their view of other people be? If you think, well, yeah, we can just grab your stuff, whether you like it or not, and you're going to serve the group. I mean, that, that's a, I mean, that tells you something about their outlook on people, and it tells you something about the person. It's not just that they keep it all in their mind, and so they didn't actually, maybe they never voted for the Communist Party, perhaps, or maybe they never um, engaged in some kind of physical activity associated with it. But that still tells you something about it. And you, yeah, I think you're, I think what you're raising is a really important element. I, I, I want to just um, reinforce it 
it's important to know. So part of being objective in moral judgment is to know more about the person than just they are a Christian, they are an atheist, they are a Muslim, they are an objectivist. So you meet five, you know, that group of people walk into a bar, you know, what does that tell you about them? Not very much, actually, because what, what does it mean for the person to be an objectivist, a follower of Ayn Rand's philosophy? How seriously do they take it? What do they understand? What does it mean to them? And exactly the same questions apply to each of the other pers uh, persons I've described. So you can meet someone who describes himself as a Christian, but they don't go to church. They don't really, they don't pray. And they're Christian because they grew up in a Christian family. So it's really important in thinking about these sorts of things is the label isn't the end of the judgment. The label is at best the beginning to the beginning of a clue to what this person's about. And you need a lot of facts and understanding about what are their views? How do they reach them? Is it error? Is it a mixture of error and um, uh, evasion or sort of irrationality? So the, again, I didn't get into a lot of this in the presentation, but I think one thing to impress upon everyone listening is moral judgment is a significant responsibility. And that means it's work. You need knowledge and you need to gain that knowledge to reach conclusions you can stand by. Yeah. And which makes it tricky and complicated. Yeah. And it's not, it's not an easy or obvious thing. No. If, if you've ever been in a relationship or had, you know, I mean, you it, evaluating people or had friends. It's... So let me ask you a question. This is coming from uh, uh, Roberta's. Uh, I'm going to summarize this a little bit or shorten it. Um, how do you judge a person who's close to you uh, uh, on a flaw that you both share? Um, how do you? How, yeah, so I, you both share a someone's close to you. You both share a certain kind of flaw, but you want or think you ought to judge them on the issue. How do you deal with that if you kind of share the flaw? That's difficult. I'd like to know what the kind of flaw it is we're talking about, because they, that could mean you forget. Okay, let me, let me add something. Let me jump okay. in. He yeah. mentioned something about um, procrastinating. I'm not sure if ex exactly I understand the question, but okay. he said, yeah, something about procrastinating about while feeling bad and complaining about not reaching your goals or lack of success at work, but maybe you're not doing much in that regard to make things better, perhaps. Yeah. So again, it's very difficult to, without further facts and knowledge about what the situation is to form, to, to give a lot of uh, guidance. But what I would say is it's important to know what it is that you think of as the flaw and what you take to be the source of it. And is it, uh, so it, let's say, let's invent a situation that I think maybe matches the question, but I, I, if the, if this isn't right, maybe the person can follow up. Um, so suppose you're, you're, tr you are you've set some goals for yourself but you're not really taking them seriously you're sometimes you go so you want to be more fitter and sometimes you go exercise but then a week goes by and you miss your scheduled appointment to go running or whatever it is and you're kind of not committed to it now there could be good reasons for that or or, or you know reasons that are not bad and reasons that are bad like maybe you aren't taking yourself seriously maybe you really don't care about this goal and you're evading it. You're ignoring your own commitment to yourself, you know, valuing your life in some important way. Um, so so th those are indicators that there's something not good going on here, um, or at least questionable that you want to 
because like, this is, you know, you said you were going to do this and you're not doing it. Uh, or there's some element of self-deceit maybe. I, I mean, it's hard to say what the person is going through. But what I would say is if the person you're close to and you both have the same kind of problem, well, let's say it's more, it's some, some, something benign of like, you don't have great follow through on these goals or, you, you know, you, you forget certain things and you're not as, well, you know, one way to look at this is assuming you think it comes from um, a sort of, it's not coming from a source of irrationality. Let's just say the person's just not very organized. They're not good with their time. Um, one way to look at that is, well, you can both become better at it. I mean, if, if it's a matter of becoming better at a skill or being more um, committed to a particular goal, those are things you can learn to be better at. Um, and that, that could be a focus for what to do. And, and, and judging them doesn't just mean, well, that's it, we're done. <laughs> I mean, it depends what the flaw is, but let's say it's something benign, like, you know, you're not as good at sort of meeting your fitness goals as you want it to be. If it's something like that, then maybe there's a way to improve and both become better as a result. Because part of judgment is, well, I think you could be better in these particular ways. And I'd like you to be better, assuming this is not a moral failing. Um, I mean, as, as I said, it's hard to kind of figure out which direction the question is going in. But yeah, because if, yeah, if it is a moral failing, there's a real issue. It's one thing is I kept saying I'm going to exercise and then I kind of don't really follow through and people and the question then is like are you really committed to these goals are you just kind of uh but if it's a moral issue uh if you have a, a spouse or someone who's close to you someone you care about uh and they're trying to advance themselves at work and from time to time they'll do it by undercutting another a co-worker if you're facing something like that, there's a lot of, quite, I mean, if certainly you care about them and they're the kind of person that you could speak more intimately about, but it's like, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? Why do you think that this is the only way that you can succeed here? Because this is a real, this is an issue. <laughs> it's a real problem. Uh, and it's like, I do that too. <laughs> you know, it's like, but if you have really consider yourself, watch out a lot. No, really it's, if you, if you really see yourself as, as self-consciously as morally engaging in activity that you regard as immoral, I think you need to really seriously take stock. And it's not like, well, don't judge your spouse or your partner because they do the same thing. The thing is we need to sit down and figure out what the hell we're doing with our lives and our careers and why we're on these paths. And I think that, but there's a, there's also typically, and usually there's a, there's a long lead, there's a lead up to that. It's not just all of a sudden I decided on a whim. It's that, you know, maybe you have some sort of view about yourself or some cynical view about what people are like. And the only way to win is to get them before they get you. And there could be a lot of premises that, that are underlying that. And I think that's something to seriously sort out. Yeah, I agree with that. One other thing to, to add to this as a consideration is to go back to a point I made in, in the presentation. The closer the person is to you, the more this matters to you. Because if you value that relationship, then there's reasons for you to care what kind of flaw this is and what you think is, is behind it. And what is, is this something they can fix? Yeah. And th this is a good transition then to a question we got from Seth. <clears throat> he says, is there a relationship between your own self-esteem and the ability to effectively judge others? I think it's relevant. 
yeah, I think there's definitely a relevant connection. Uh, having self-esteem means you value yourself. You have confidence in your own judgment and in your worthiness for, to gain values in the world. And I think if you have that perspective on yourself, then you would want to have good people around you and not tolerate bad people. So you can see that, I mean, and there's other factors why people are reluctant to reach moral judgments. And that was your first question we talked about, but um, all things, if you can sort of all things considered, all things being equal. Yeah, if you don't have a lot of self-esteem, I can see even more reluctance to reach conclusions about people and say, well, um, who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah, who am I to judge? And that's really part of that whole kind of way of thinking. But you think about someone who's being, um, so let's say you have a friend and they're not as considerate toward you as they want you to be toward them. It's more, too much of a one-way relationship. And this happens quite often. And the person who, th there's reasons to be concerned about that. And if you have lower self-esteem, you're less likely to assert yourself and say something about it. And if you have a higher self-esteem, you say, well, I, why am I being treated like this? Yeah. So I think there is a, a, a relationship between the two. And the point you just sort of raised, I think is, is important. Um, I think especially from a kind of religious perspective, there are all kinds of pressures against being able to form positive self-esteem. And the, the idea of who am I to judge really is, who are you to judge? You're nothing, you're not important, you're not God, and only God is in a position to do that. And if that's how you're thinking about it, yeah, you know, moral judgment's out the window because you're not in a position uh, to do that. But I don't think that's a healthy or productive way to think about this, it's not at all based in fact. Yeah. So let me give you another question. This one's coming from, actually, let me go to this one. Um, so kind of two related issues. One is, uh, this is coming from Jose, uh, and he makes the point that it seems like if you have some degree of rationality, you can't help judging people. Like you'll, you will judge, you'll make evaluations of people, you form some sort of evaluation. It's almost like it's sort of automatic, you'll do it. Um, and then a related, so what do you think of that? And second, um, the difference between forming an evaluation in your own mind versus vo voicing it. I mean, because I think that, yeah. Because he says, I think we, we judge all the time, even if we don't voice it. Okay. Do you think so, that's true? And then what's the difference between doing those two? I don't think it's automatic. I think it, it's something that we often do. And it, it, I think it is part of being rational. Because being rational, one way to put that is you're looking at the facts. You're trying to understand them. You're trying to integrate them with your life. And, and part of what that means is you see something and you say, how does this affect me? How does this affect my values? Does, does this make sense? Is it true? Is it right? And so those are all kinds of judgments. Um, and some of them are moral judgments, assuming you have moral principles. But I don't think it's automatic because to, uh, to form a, a moral judgment, well, let's put it this way, you might have preliminary thoughts about someone that lead to or the basis for a moral judgment. I don't think it's automatic to reach a view, a considered moral judgment of somebody because it takes so much work. I mean, it, you need facts you need to think about them you need to understand their context what gave rise to them how confident are you in the validity of what you understand so far so that's one aspect of it. the other aspect is you have to know what standards you're applying you have to have rational standards and i i just yeah. glanced kind of went, went by that really quickly but there's a lot to say and ayn rand has 
a lot to say about what are rational principles, and, and you need a, a, um, an explicit, under, like a really well under, kind of thought through understanding of what those are, because you, there's all sorts of ways to go wrong. You can have all the facts, but not apply a rational standard, or you might not always apply it, not consistently. So for those reasons, I think it's not right to think of it as it's all like it's automatic. Though I can see what you're getting at if, if what you're saying is we're evaluating all the time, we're reaching sort of preliminary conclusions, or but be but what I would say is be more uh, conscious and hands-on about what you're doing and think, am I, is this really a conclusion or is this like my first impression or my second step towards a conclusion? Be conscious about that. And then remind me of the second element. Yeah, voicing uh, your evaluations versus just sort of filing it away in your mind. Yeah, so I would say, <clears throat> read the, the recommended essays I, I listed earlier from Ayn Rand, um, how, do, how does one live a rational life in an irrational society and the cult of moral grains, because both of them speak to the issue of the, the sort of the context in which one would articulate or speak or say one's moral judgment. Um, I think that is a really important element. Uh, so, so two thoughts on that is um, you're not obligated to express it in every given situation that occurs to you. And sometimes it's not the right thing to do um, there's context where that's not appropriate, but you can't be silent if your values are at, at uh, are being threatened or are being negated in some important way. And and what you say also is contextual. So sometimes Ayn Rand, po Ayn Rand points this out. Sometimes it's enough to tell someone you don't agree with them because you you're not not letting the, your silence imply agreement. Sometimes you, if it's someone's better and more rational, you can explain why you disagree and why you are not going to let this go by and then it's up to you how much you want to get into an exchange with the person. Uh, the, you're not obligated to convince them. You just need to express your view. Uh, and I think uh, sort of taking that more broadly uh, to what we do here at the Iron Institute, one of the things we do is we write and speak about events and cultural phenomena and, and political cultural issues. And one reason we do that is it's really important to say what you think is going on in the world. It gives you the clarity of understanding. So it keeps your moral vision clear and, and, and guiding in your life. If you're uh, sort of looking at the world and kind of understanding and expressing what you think of the events and, and people around that are important. Um, so, you know, obviously people are really concerned about politics, but just cultural trends, you know, the um, different kinds of issues. So one of the things we did going back almost 20 years now is we made a big focus of responding to the attacks of 9-11 in 2001. And that wasn't because we wanted to become a, a policy think tank kind of organizations because we thought it, this was so important that saying nothing would be out of the question. And our values were at such in such peril and that needed to be defended that we that's a big part of why we said so much about 9-11 and then the wars that happened after that but to me this is um there's there's a lot to think about in terms of articulating your thoughts w one final quick thing and maybe you want to add to this but there there are situations where what you need to do is just understand it for yourself and there's no other person to express this to in the immediate context but it's for your own clarity and that's an important element of this the the, the primary issue here is um, you need to know what you're dealing with, whether it's a person, an event, or a situation, 
And once you have that clarity, then it's a, it's a, it's a next question of, do I express it in this context? Do I express it in that context? When, when do I need to say anything? What is it, what actions need to be taken? Because there's definitely an action or uh, element of it, but that has its own context. I'll just, the only thing I'll add to that is, <clears throat> um, and you hear this in discussions of uh, company culture and so on. It's not just to call out mistakes or errors, but to, uh, but to acknowledge the good. Somebody publishes a good article and you say, hey, this is a good article, nice job. Or somebody is, uh, uh, says something really helpful at a meeting or something and is like, that was, that was helpful. It just, it needs, often it takes basically zero effort. Okay, not zero, but it, it's something. Uh, and it, partly it's one of these ways in which, and this is a common phenomenon uh, in organizations, it's, uh, it's um, to have that as a kind of an element that, that one uh, recognizes. So it's, it's, if you could file away in your mind, hey, that was, that was good, and it just stays in your mind, uh, there's a way in which that is not very helpful. You might file it away, and so you think, hey, maybe this person has good comments, and I should maybe uh, bring him into more meetings or you know, whatever it is, who knows. Um, but the, the, that it shouldn't remain only in one's mind in many cases. But when and what context it's relevant to speak up or say something, or is, are you just being annoying? Uh, uh, so it's, uh, that's, it depends a lot on, on what the context is. And in, in some cases, whether you know them or what this means for you. And so, but to be, it's to be on the value premise that I want to encourage the good and discourage the bad. Because you mentioned the point about uh, standards and people being uncomfortable about the standards. Um, I mean, the basic yardstick, I mean, they're, they're, they're there, there's, the factors that go into judging people are more complicated, but the basic standard is, um, is this the kind of person or behavior or activity that hinders my life or helps it? Uh, and in the end, that's this what it is, you know? And so if, now how you flesh that out in, in judging people is different. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, more, it's complicated. I was gonna say, I'm so glad you mentioned that going back to the issue of sort of the orientation to the positive, because I, I, I didn't touch on that, but I'm glad you did it. And I think one of the things that you get if you read Ayn Rand's novels, and then if you read her nonfiction, it's her orientation wasn't to go out and, and sort of bash the, all the bad things going on. She, she pointed to them, but it was because she was so committed to creating a, so this vision of what the moral ideal is, like what kind of, what is her fictional ideal and what kind of society does that kind of ideal need to live in? And she was really motivated by um, supporting the good and, and, and being just to, uh, toward the good. And one of the ways that she did that is by writing Atlas Shrugged, which is in its own way a, um, a recognition of the heroism of business people and inventors and creators in every field. And so it, it, it's really key that when we talk about moral judgment is we get it's primarily an orientation towards values towards the good and supporting the good and it also i mean it's relevant that you want to avoid the bad but it's toward the value creation yeah and you notice that there are elements of the of satire in her writings um but she's not a satirist mm -hmm. in other words she's not there to kind of pillory the bad or the evil or the irrational though she does that mm -hmm. there is elements of that but it's primarily about she's an idealist She's trying to project a moral ideal and real heroism, and it, that's really where her focus is. Yeah. So I got a question uh, that I was asked to ask, uh, but I think it's too psychological and it was, requires a little too much context. So I'm not ignoring I'm talking to the questioner. I'm not ignoring your question. Um, it's a relevant question, but it's, I think it's um, 
requires too much context and we, we can't have a back and forth. Um, how do you judge yourself and others? This might be the last question. How do you judge yourself and others without becoming overwhelmed by your or their flaws? Uh, well, I, I mean, it depends who you are and what you take those flaws to be. Um, I think it's important to evaluate. So moral judgment is about the fundamentals of a person's character and conduct. And this, so the, the key thing is, is this person living by the reason and are they trying to live by their own means and sort of taking responsibility for their life and thought? That's a sort of the fundamental question you ask about people. And then they might have some moral flaws that are minor um, I'm just sort of thinking of somebody and, and then all kinds of other flaws that are not really morally significant, but that they could take care of and fix. And, and that's not a big deal. And you might be overwhelmed by them because there's so much to do, but think about what is fundamental and what's derivative. Someone asking that question probably isn't sitting in a jail cell. They're probably watching us. Right. So um, they're, they're trying to think through their life and figure out what <coughs> they want. And just like anything, if you're trying to improve yourself, identify what are the sort of the highest leverage ones, what are the fundamental things you've got to get right, and then prioritize those and then work through the other smaller things that assuming they're remedial, uh, remediable, um, that seems like the most I can offer given th there's not a lot. Yeah. I feel like I need more information on that question. It would be great to have a back and forth. But Yeah, I mean, if you're overwhelmed by your flaws, because you're an axe murderer and an embezzler, <laughs> and you're just like, Jesus, it's piling up. How do I not? I mean, again, like that's what you're saying. I don't think that's what's going on with the question. Uh, but, uh, but and also it's important to sort out what, what do you mean flaws? Yeah. It's you leave your socks on the floor too often and your wife gets mad. <laughs> uh, or, or is it you don't go to the gym as often, you don't follow through sometimes with some of your goals. And is it in, it's, it's good to not be overly harsh, I think on yourself for things that are of, of lesser significance, um, but to keep it sorted out, what, what's the really serious ones here that I really need to pay attention to and need to devote real time and effort to? Um, yeah. Yeah, but all, just one, one last thought here. All these questions are really great and I, I wish we can get to all of them. Um, we really appreciate your sending questions. As I said earlier, sometimes they become the source for a new webinar. And so I think there's a lot of food for thought here Every time I say this is a big topic, that's usually a sign that we should have a webinar about it. Um, but thank you for your questions. Thank you for coming today. Uh, let me tell you about next week before we run out of time. I uh, hope you'll join us again. We'll be joined, uh, the, the speaker will be Dr. Harry Binswanger, and he will be asking the big question, is artistic preference subjective? I think that'll be a really interesting uh, discussion given common yeah. views about art. Yeah. <clears throat> so thanks for coming and I'll, I'll suggest one other thing that um, if you have questions that either you didn't ask today or that you think might be good for other webinars, just drop us an, an, an email at webinars at aynrand.org. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.